Well, let's turn to the Word of God this morning. I'm, I'm glad we're going to be together and uh, get to hear what the Lord has to say to us. We're in this series in the book of Acts, and we're going through chapters 9 to 14, and we're kind of right in the middle of that. Acts chapter 11 is when where we were the last week. And last sermon, we covered verses 19 to 26, and we unpacked two ideas on how Christians can live investing in eternity with their lives even today. The first thing we looked at in that sermon last week was this. All believers are called to personally proclaim the message of Jesus to others. This was kind of point number one, something every believer, no matter our age, whether we are a kid, a youth, a young adult, an older adult, this applies to all of us. We are all, as believers in Jesus, called to personally proclaim the message of Jesus to other people. And we, we looked at how God uses people who are just like us, everyday believers who may not have all the skills, may not have all the things figured out in our life that we think someone should have. Just someone who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and is willing to share about Jesus. God uses people like that to do incredible things. We saw that in Acts chapter 11, verse 20 last week. We're told a group of regular, everyday people, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, the Bible says, are the ones who actually took the gospel to the city of Antioch and started the church there by telling other people about Jesus. So all of us have this challenge in our lives. Are we telling others? Are we personally proclaiming the name of Jesus to others? The second thing we looked at from the text last week was that some believers are called to give their whole lives to the work of ministry. And we saw this in the example of Saul and Barnabas. They were called to leave the places that they had lived, go and serve as pastors of that new church in Antioch. And God still calls people to do that same thing today, right? I, I shared a little bit of my story and how I and my family were, were called by God to move from our home and leave behind our friends and family like Katina and Ben who were in Springfield. And we came here out to Nelsonville to lead and serve this church as I'm the pastor here. And we talked about how God calls other people to missionary work, and we support, we partner with a lot of different people who feel that call of God on their life, and they go and do that. So the challenge for us to consider with that was how open and how willing are we to personally hearing and responding God's call in our lives too, because God does call people to this work of ministry even today. And we have to consider what would we do if God called us to the work of ministry here from Nelsonville, Missouri? Because God actually calls people to the work of ministry from Nelsonville, Missouri, right? We talked about the story of Hetty Stephan, a young woman who was born and raised right here in this area and then went to India as a missionary for 13 years. We thought about Morgan Malloy, who's one pretty much everybody in this room knows, and she's serving now as a Chi Alpha missionary since 2015. We talked about how God called Randy and Carolyn after a career in medicine and a career in education to go, let's start a missions work in Guatemala, right? The Lord calls people to this kind of work from right here in this place. And so my challenge to you is don't assume because you live in Nelsonville, you know the answer to the question. God may call you. Are you willing to obey and do what he asks you to do? Now, this morning is part two of this idea of investing in eternity because I was talking, going to talk about this last week, and, and, well, we filled out 40 minutes last week on those first two points. So today, we're going to continue talking about how, as Christians, we are called and given the opportunity to invest in eternity in part two of this message, starting now in verse 27 of Acts chapter 
11. If you're there in your Bible, you can follow along. If not, it's on the screens in front of you. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Now, in these days, these days were Saul and Barnabas, they're up in Antioch, pastoring the church. In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And then Luke, because he's writing later, kind of tells us this in parentheses here. This did, in fact, take place in the days of Claudius. So verse 29. So the disciples determined every, each one, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, here from just this short passage that we just read, we're going to see this third way of investing in eternity from the example of these believers who are only new believers. They've only been Christians for about a year or so. We know Saul and Barnabas were there teaching and instructing them in the way of the Lord for about a year. And so here's these believers, only about a year old in the faith, who understand clearly enough this truth to act upon it when this specific opportunity arose. Here's the key point that I want to unpack this morning for us. For every one of us in this room, whether you're a kid, youth, young adult, old adult, this applies to all of us. So hear this point clearly. Kids, in your notes, you'll see a place for your main point. This is where you want to write it down. Here's the key point that I want us to unpack this morning. All believers are called to invest in eternity through giving generously from all of the resources that God has entrusted to us personally. All believers are called to invest in eternity through giving generously from all of the resources that God has entrusted to us personally. What we see here is a reminder of how important it is not to disconnect our faith from the rest of our lives. What, what this means very practically, very personally, is that we cannot disconnect living our faith from how we manage our resources which includes our money and our physical possessions. Our faith should impact how we use those things. And we see an example of how these believers used those things in response to this opportunity God put before them. So we've talked a lot in our church before about stewarding our lives well. We've talked about stewarding our time, stewarding our gifts, our talent, our skills, our abilities. Those are things God has given us to use for his glory in this world, right? And we've talked before about how we should do that and the call to the challenge to do that. But today we need to talk about it is just as important for you and I to steward our physical resources, including our money, in a way that glorifies God too. So God actually tells his people rather explicitly, not just through examples like what we see here in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, but through direct commands where God says something specifically to his people about how he wants us to view and use our financial resources. He wants us to see ourselves as stewards, recognizing that he ultimately owns all things. He has told us how to use the things he has given to us and expects us to obey him in ways that would glorify him and worship him. So I want to read to you from quite a bit of scripture today because uh, these are not my ideas. <laughs> this is not financial advice according to Isaiah Jesh. No, this is what God himself has said in his word, and bears the weight of God speaking to his people, not the advice of me giving you some suggestions. We need to know that because if we're honest in this room even, most people really don't like to hear a message like this and think about these kind of things. 
about what God would require of us, of our money and our physical resources. And so often the natural response is we're going to kind of want to push back on this. We're going to come up with some reasons to try and dismiss whatever is said or make some excuses about why, oh yeah, that's, that's for someone else, not, but not for me. That may be the response in some of our hearts today, but we're going to listen to what God says in his word and then ask him to work in us to help us be obedient to what he says to us. Here's the first foundational truth that we need to get. This is really, really important. Kids, listen really closely to this. I'm going to read to you what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. This is so important. Behold, to Yahweh, your God, belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. This is really important for you to understand. Because I can tell you why this is so important is it's important in my house to understand this idea too. So we have rules in my house. I'm assuming you, most of you have some rules in your house. We have rules about what we get to watch and when we get to watch TV. We have rules about how we treat things in our home, like furniture, decorations, and toys, and games that we have, right? Often I'm saying, that's not how you sit on the couch, <laughs> Bottom down, no jumping on the beds, right? I have rules about these different things. My kids know they need to be careful with the things that they have. We don't try to break and damage things intentionally. Think accidents happen, we understand that, but we want to take care of what we have, and we talk about this a lot in our home. And my kids know that if they want to do certain things, they have to ask. If they want to use certain items, they better ask mom and dad first. Now, sometimes because I have rules in my house, and maybe you've experienced this too, parents, uh, my kids will ask me, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to obey what you have said? And my response to my children, you can ask them about this later, my response to them is, because those things belong to me and your mother, and since we own them, we set the rules for them. You didn't buy the TV. I bought the TV. So you get to watch the TV when I say we're going to watch the TV. That's not a right. That's a privilege in my house, right? Now, Here's why this is important, because if that's true in my home, and this text right here tells us God owns the earth, the heavens, the heavens of heavens, and everything on the earth, then if he's the rightful owner of everything that exists, well, he has the right to tell us how to use the things that he has made, that he owns, right? Make sense? Okay. So if we know then that ultimately everything belongs to God, he's the owner of everything that exists, then it makes sense that God would tell his people how to use the things that he owns in order to worship him and glorify him. So knowing that truth, we hear this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. You shall, this is a command, you shall remember Yahweh, your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And in verse 17 of chapter 16, he says this, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of Yahweh, your God, that he has given to you. Another way to summarize that idea of remembering God and giving to God is simply summed up in Proverbs 3, 9, where it says, honor Yahweh with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. That last phrase there, the first fruits of all you produce, it's referring there to a specific way that God instructed, God commanded his people in the Old Testament to recognize some important things, to recognize first that he's the owner of all things, as we just saw from the text of scripture, to learn to rely upon God as their provider, and then to honor God with all the things that they were able to produce, all the wealth they were able to earn. They were to honor God with that. He was not to be disconnected. Now, we're just going to worship God when we go to the temple. We're just going to worship God with some singing. We're just going to worship God by hearing the word. No, we have to worship God with the resources 
that we produce in our daily lives according to the Bible. The way God taught his people to do this was through requiring them to give what is called a tithe. Now, the word tithe, kids, have you ever heard the word tithe used before? Show of hands. Have you heard this word, tithe? A couple of you. Adults, do you ever hear the word tithe used anywhere other than church? No. (laughs) This is one of those words that if you've heard, you've probably only ever heard it at church or maybe heard your parents talking about, well, we're going to go to church and do that. This is not a word that's common in our language today. So I want to tell you what the word tithe means. The word tithe comes from a Hebrew term that just literally means a tenth, one-tenth or ten percent. So how many of you kids have started to do some math at school? Been doing a little bit of math? Okay. So you know that, (laughs) Shay's like, yep, done a little bit, a little bit of math. So you know what one-tenth or ten percent of something is. If you don't know, I'm going to explain it today, and we're going to talk about that, and then you'll be ready for math class uh, next fall when we go back to school. But this idea of a tithe of one-tenth or ten percent of what someone earns being given back to God in order to, and don't miss the point of this, in order to recognize his ownership of all things, to learn to rely upon him as provider, and to honor God above all else is a teaching tool that God gives his people in the Old Testament to learn these truths. By practicing this, they are to learn those truths. So, for example, I want to explain to you how the tithe is supposed to work from two texts in the book of Leviticus, which I know is everybody's favorite devotional reading place in the Bible, so you've probably got these texts memorized, and you're just, you could quote them with me, right? Here's what the Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 and 32. In verse 30, it says, one-tenth of everything produced in the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is Yahweh's. It is holy to Yahweh. And in verse 32, it says, and one-tenth of the herds and the flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to Yahweh. And to address the idea that maybe some of us are going, oh, see, finally, I found my little loophole there. We're talking about what's grown in a field, what's raised animals. So I'm not a farmer. Great. I'm exempt. Here's what God says in Haggai 2.8. Oh, the silver is mine and the gold is mine too, declares Yahweh of hosts. Going back to those words from Deuteronomy that I said were so important to remember, we learned the earth and everything in it belongs to God, Right? So the way God instructs his people in the Old Testament to immediately begin to think about and then use their resources to honor him and to learn these lessons of trusting him and relying upon him is that God tells his people they need to give this amount, this baseline of their giving of 10%, one out of every 10, back to God. Now, today, obviously, is a family Sunday, and so you're thinking, okay, this is like a weird message for the kids to be in here, and why are we talking about you know, giving and all of that? And kids, you're thinking, why are we talking about giving? I don't have a job. I can't give a lot of money to the church, right? So, so we're thinking, maybe this doesn't really fit, but this is important for us to think about whether we're a kid or a youth or a young adult or an older adult, because this command and this principle was used to teach God's people of all ages those key truths. And if we understand that and see that, we too can learn these key truths and how to live our lives in a way that glorifies God. So even for kids, what this would mean is when you earn some money, 
Maybe you get to do chores in your house and you, you get some money for that. Maybe you have an allowance. Maybe sometimes throughout the year you sell toys and you earn some money that way or you go do work from someone. Maybe you even get cash or some kind of money as a gift for Christmas or birthday or special life events. When that happens, and almost all of our kids in here, at some point you're going to get some money. When that happens, no matter how old you are, you have the opportunity to learn to trust God as your ultimate provider, to worship him by putting him first, above toys and treats and all the things you could buy, and you can learn, just like adults have the opportunity to learn, to invest your resources in eternity by giving to God. It's one of the things I love about BGMC, which is what we're going to do next Sunday, right? So this is a timely thing for us to think about this week as we prepare for next Sunday. Next Sunday, when we take up our BGMC offering, kids, that's a perfect opportunity for you to give of your resources so other kids all around the world can learn about Jesus. So you can invest in eternity by, by thinking this week, how can I do something to earn some money, give that to God next week when I come back to church? It's an awesome opportunity for us to do this, no matter how old or young we are. So as we look at how God was teaching his people through this principle of tithing, I, I want to bring that into the modern day because the text I read, you're thinking, okay, we're talking about, about something growing or we're talking about animals and, and that doesn't really apply. So let's talk in terms of money. Kids, I want you to help me out with this. So if you're, if you're writing your notes, settle down for just a second and focus up here on me because I'm going to ask you some questions. If God says to set aside 10% or one-tenth of everything that we earn, we need to think about what that would look like practically. So here's my question. If you get $1, how much should you set aside to give to God? 10 cents. Well, let's see. We've got $1 up there. And what would 10% a tithe of that? Oh, it is. It's a dime. Just 10 cents. Very good. Tobiah got the first one right. Let's try another question. What if you were to get $10 how much should you set aside? What is one-tenth of $10, Summer? Huh? One dollar. Let's see. Is she correct? It is. One dollar. Very good. So we're two for two so far. We're flying along. Math, we're doing great. Let's do another one. Let's do a bigger number this time. How about if you were to get $100? How much are you to set aside, Solomon? $10. Are we right? We got a $100 bill. $10 is 10%, one-tenth of that. Now, all right, we've done really well, three for three so far. So <clears throat> let's really think together. Are you ready? What if you were to get $525.50? And I'll put it on the screen. All right, think in your head. Are we thinking? I need 10%. Ben? $52.55. That's, I mean, you sound pretty precise. Let's see, are you right? Nailed it. $52.55. Here's the trick. You guys want to know how he could do that in his head so fast? When you do 10%, you're just going to move this little decimal, this guy right here, over one spot. Don't need that guy anymore because we're just doing two after the decimal. 52, 55, 52, 55. There you go. You're welcome. Uh, Stephanie, math is covered. Next fall, you don't even need to teach him anything. Got, got it done. You're right. One-tenth of $525.50 is $52.55. Sense. Now, if we're thinking about all of that, how many of you think, that sounds like a lot of money God wants? If I get a dollar, he wants 10 cents. If I get $10, he wants a dollar. If I get $100, he wants $10. If I get $525.50, he wants $52.55. That sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? Sound like a lot of money? Yeah. 
Let's think about it the other way, though. God says he wants one-tenth, 10% in the tithe. So if you set aside 10 cents from your $1, how much is God giving you to use for whatever else you want to use it for? A lot, yes. I worked so hard on this. It took forever to get these little pictures in here. So here's our tithe. We're just going to point this out. Here's our tithe, our 10 cents right here. And on this side, this is all the, the, all the dimes you get to use. There's nine of them up there. 90 cents. He gives you 90% to use whatever you'd like to do. Okay, but that's just a dollar. So let's do our $10 example. What does $10 look like? $1 going to God and $9 for whatever else we want to use it for. If we have $100 up there, and go ahead, yeah, see, and those are actually $10 right there. I didn't, I didn't think you're too far away and cheat and just throw the ones up there. No, that's 10s right there. All those little images. You get $10 you're going to give to God, $90 for your use. So God isn't asking you to give him half or the majority. He's asking for one out of 10, 10% as the tithe. So $100, he wants 10, and he gives you how much? How much is up there for you to use whatever else you want? 90. Thank you. So it may seem like God's wanting a lot, but in the reality, he's not. In fact, adults in this room, we can all testify to the fact that that's actually way less than the U.S. government wants to take out of our money, right? Amen? Our taxes? Yeah. Not preaching on that. We're talking about the Lord here. So here's what's so important to notice, though, about this idea of tithe. And kids, this really matters to you, too. When God says he wants 10% of the money that someone is earning, he wants them to give that back to them to honor and worship him, well, because 10% is a percentage, it means some people are going to give a smaller dollar amount than some other people and still be just as faithful, still just as honor God, still worship God just the same. So let's, let's talk about animals for just a second since we talked about dollar bills. Let's say, for instance, you have 10 sheep. And God says he wants one out of ten. That, that farmer who has ten sheep is going to give how many sheep to God? One. One, right. One sheep. But let's say you're a big-time farmer and you've got a thousand sheep. God says he wants ten percent of a thousand sheep. How many are being given to God then? One hundred. Now, is one or one hundred a bigger number? One hundred. Like a lot bigger number, right? But in that example... The farmer who gives the one of 10 and the farmer who gives the 100 of 1,000 are both obeying God, are both honoring God, are both glorifying God in worship as they give 10%, even though those numbers are very, very different. So what that means for kids, it means for adults, it means for all of us in this room, is that no matter how much money you make, whether you have a really high-paying job or a middle-paying job or a low-paying job or you don't really have a good-paying job but sometimes you get some money, is no matter how much income you have, you can honor and worship God by giving a percent, not a certain dollar amount. God isn't looking at the end of the year. Let's tally it up. How much? Wow, really? Only $333? Or wow, he gave $33,300. He doesn't compare the numbers. He's looking at our obedience to the principle, to the percentage. That's pretty cool. It's a level playing field then, right? No matter what amount you make, you can be faithful to worship God through the giving of this tithe following this principle that God lays out in the Old Testament, which is all throughout the Old Testament. And the whole point of it, remember, our whole point of it, the whole reason God gave the tithe to the people was to recognize God's ownership of all things, to learn to rely upon him as provider, and to honor him above all else. That's the whole point of this. 
The whole reason he set this up was a teaching tool for people to learn these principles. But despite all of that, and despite the fact that God's really generous, if he asks for one out of ten and gives you nine to do whatever you would like to do with, the reality is most people don't even give the 1%, the 10%, the one out of 10 back to God. So the question we have to ask then, if that's true, and statistics prove this is true, survey after survey after survey that you can, I mean, just go Google this if you want to. The average person who gives to church, if they give to the church, because only 17% of people actually give to the church, those who give to the church will usually give about 2.5% of their income. So the bulk of the giving to the church is really coming from people who are far, far beyond the 10%. Because most people don't even give that much. The question is, okay, if that's all true, then but does it really matter? Does it really matter if we're giving this back to God or not? Well, God actually says what he thinks about this. So rather than me telling you what I think about that, let's just hear what God has to say in his words. Probably the most well-known verse, probably the most convicting passage, if you think about it, that gets to the heart of this whole tithe issue, and it comes from Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, we'll start with. God says, For I, Yahweh, do not change, and therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So God says, I don't change, therefore I'm not destroying you. Okay, we need to pay attention. What's going on here? He says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. But you say, well, how shall we return to you? Will, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You will say, but, but how have we robbed you? God responds, in your tithes and offerings. So you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, that's a pretty striking passage. And those of us who understand what's being said there, we're like, "Woof, that's okay. This is serious, right? God says, you are disobeying, you are sinning, you are robbing me, and the only reason I'm not destroying you because of your actions is because I will be faithful even when you are unfaithful. And what's the great sin underneath all of this? Is it that they've built another temple to a rival God? Is it that, that there's idols in the homes of everyone in Israel? Nope. He says the issue here, the sin that he is talking about, is the people are not giving back to God their tithes and their offerings as they should. And so he tells them clearly in verse 10 what he wants them to do. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. God's not okay with the 2.5% when he says 10%. So that there may be food in my house. And thereby... Put me to the test. Listen to this. Thereby, put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, you're robbing me, and I should destroy you for that, but I won't because I'm faithful. And he says, so do what I have commanded and watch what happens when you obey what I have commanded you to do. I will bless you. I will pour it out. There will be no more need. If you obey me, I will take care of you. That's the promise God gives. So when we hear these verses, I think it's pretty safe to summarize the word of God by saying this. We are demonstrating obedience and trust in God as our provider when we give back to him as an act of worship. God's words drive to the heart of the matter here. He's concerned about what we think and feel and how we're living out our faith. It's not about ritual. It's not about earning God's favor. It's not about just logistics in the mind of God. It is about tithing, being a tool that God has given to his people to use to teach them to trust him and honor him above all else. And because it's a command that God gives to his people to put him first above everything else, 
by giving a full 10% to him before using the 90% that he's generously giving us to do everything else that we want to in life for ourselves and for others. Because it's a command, I think we could also say this as well. If we were to change this to the negative statement, while we're demonstrating obedience and trust by giving, we are disobeying, dishonoring, and sinning against God when we live selfishly by hoarding our resources and not obediently giving back to him. Now, all the texts I've given you so far have been in the Old Testament. So again, one of those heart responses, we're looking for that loophole thinking, okay, but that's, that's, old, that's old Covenant, that's Old Testament, God's people in Israel. Well, let's see what the New Testament has to say. In the Gospels, Jesus actually takes this matter even further. He actually continues to drive to the heart the way Malachi drove to the heart of the issue. And he talks about how giving to God of our money and of our resources is actually something we should see as investment in eternity. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says this very clearly to us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This principle from Jesus' mouth himself is that everything else you invest in now on this earth, no matter how great of a thing you think that is, how valuable of a thing you think that is, it is just temporary will eventually fall in its value or be broken and destroyed. Every possession that we have, everything you can think of eventually will break or be lost or have no significance or use to you anymore. Feel this reality every time we talk about having a garage sale. We start going through stuff, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we can get rid of that. And what do we want to get rid of it for? Like a dollar, right? <laughs> like, here you go, this thing that we paid, you know, how much money for, and we've had for all this time, been storing it up and keeping it. And yeah, if you'll take it, man, just, just like, give me a dollar. You don't want to give me a dollar? You're free? Just take it, you know? Like, we have all these things that just deteriorate in value so quickly. So, so quickly. But even with those things that we think are really, really special and we work really, really hard to try and maintain and keep their value up, and maybe, maybe we, we've got something and our thought is we're going to pass this on to our kids. Here's a sobering thought for you. How many of your possessions that you intend to pass on to your kids, do you think they're going to value the same way you value in your life? I mean, it's a pretty small number. And you're thinking, no, 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 it's, it's all good stuff. Well, flip it around. How many things do you have that your parents passed on that you're like, I am really so glad I got that? How many things came down from three generations before you? How about six? <laughs> Eventually, no matter what it is, it's going to deteriorate. It's going to not work, or it's just not going to be that important to us anymore. Very, very little can maintain worth for very long. Eventually, every physical possession and investment you have will fade away. But, Jesus says, every cent you put into the mission of the gospel going forward in the world is an investment in eternity, that has value that will never fade. So Jesus says, hey, if you're wise and you're wanting to make the most of the resources that you have available to you, put them into the kingdom of God because that value will never, ever deteriorate. So to be clear, God is never removing this idea of giving to him in the New Testament. In fact, we'll look at another text here. He's actually going to press deeper to the heart issue by repeatedly commanding his people to be generous and as Jesus just said, to see our investments in the kingdom as investments in eternity. 
And the New Testament will go even further and tell us, if you want to know how you ought to give and how generous you ought to be, let's look to Jesus as the example to motivate your generosity. Giving to God is not just a religious requirement to be done precisely. All right, 10%, perfect. Now God is satisfied and I get to move on. Jesus would take it further and say, you are to be a generous people. In fact, Jesus actually rebukes the Pharisees who were so concerned with trying to live to the letter of the law and saying a tithe, 10%, one-tenth, okay? We'll give it God exactly 10%. And they were so good at making sure they gave God exactly 10% that they would go into the spice cabinets and count out all their spice and make sure here's one-tenth of cumin, here's one-tenth of this, and they would give all of that to God. And Jesus rebukes them for it because their hearts were disconnected from what God was trying to do inside of them through the teaching of the tithe principle. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, notice, without neglecting the others. He's saying you should have lives that are being impacted. Your heart should be changed. You should be dealing with heart issues, weighty things, weighty matters of the heart while you are giving and tithing to God. He doesn't say these are the things you should have cared about. You don't need to tithe. That's old covenant, that's old... No, he doesn't remove this idea of giving to God. He says, while you're giving to God, you should be paying attention to what's happening in your heart. That's what Jesus says here. And so going forward in the New Testament, like I said, the the command doesn't become, let's count out 10% exactly. That's just the teaching tool to get our hearts prepared for what God wants us really to be like, and that's to be generous and cheerful in light of Christ's generosity towards us as we give generously towards others. So more text, because I want you to hear God say this. Acts 20, 35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to, what? Give than to receive. I mean, I'm really blessed when someone gives me something. That's awesome, right? Especially it's a very thoughtful gift. I'm blessed by that. I love that. I feel wonderful. Jesus says, yeah, but it's even better to give than to receive. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I like how it connects right here to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. The point is this, Paul says, thinking about what Jesus just said there. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. Yeah. What's he concerned about there? The heart, right? Not God loves someone who crosses the T, dots the I, gets the exact, all right, 10% to the penny. God and I are square. God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says, As for the rich in this present age, and let me just stop. I've told you this before, but as for the rich in this present age, you read that and you go, well, I mean, that's not me. I have a modest home, a modest income, right? I mean, we can think about mansions and all the crazy things. If you live in this country and you make more than $35,000 a year total, you are in the top 5% of income in the entire world. 
So when he says, as for the rich in this present age, you're thinking, no, 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 I'm not that. You are. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Here's what he tells them then to do. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The call of the New Testament over and over and over again is going to drive to the heart of the issue when it comes to giving. That you and I as Christian people are to be generous, ready to give, seeing our giving as worship to God and as the most worthy investment into eternity that we could ever make. So, Thinking about the tithe principle, thinking about that that percentage piece that God did in the Old Testament to kind of level the playing field, notice then in Acts 11.29, our narrative example we started with, that the same thing is true still. Look at at this text, Acts 11.29. So the disciples there in Antioch determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. What that means is every believer in Antioch had to determine what they themselves were going to be able to give based on what God had given to them. Some had little and could give little. Some had much and could give much. But each one gave according to his ability. So just like in the Old Testament, God wasn't saying, you've got to give X dollar amount over this course for me to accept this as worship to me. In the New Testament, he's not saying that either. Each of us should give according to his ability generously as worship, as an investment in eternity. Now, if we're honest in this place, and I always will be honest with you in this place, I can tell you pastors often feel really awkward talking about this topic. This isn't the sermon every pastor's like, yeah, I'm really excited to preach that one, right? I'm thinking about how many conversations I may be having after this with people who either don't like it or have questions, right? This is, this is not a, this is not a, and we're all excited, we're all happy for the mission, right? This is, this, is a, this is a topic that's challenging to a lot of people. And more than that, I am highly, highly aware of so many false teachers who have public platforms who abuse this topic and these teachings to personally profit themselves. And so, look, it's not that I'm teaching on this today because, oh, this, I'm just so excited. You know, this is my hobby horse topic. It's not, if you've been here for my time of pastoring here, it's not. This is not my hobby horse topic. But we have to talk about it. Why? Because God talks about it. And go back to our point. All believers are called to invest in eternity through giving generously from all of the resources that God has entrusted to us personally. That's practical for you. That's practical for me. This applies outside of this room. It's going to apply to my life when I look at my budget. I open that up and I'm looking at where is my money going. I have to think about, am I giving generously to God as an act of worship or am I looking at all this money as if it's just mine? Ignoring the fact that it's God who has given me the ability, as Deuteronomy said, to even get wealth. So here's, here's the challenge for us today. Christians should be the most generous people that there are. We should be far more generous believers than the Old Testament were. How they gave a tithe, a 10% to God, we should, we should exceed that. Why should we exceed that? Well, I like what Randy Alcorn has to say on this point as we wrap up this morning. It's obvious from the beginning in the book of Acts that being under grace didn't mean the New Testament Christians would give less than their Old Testament brethren. On the contrary, it meant they would give more. 
Being under grace does not mean living by lower standards than the law. Christ systematically addressed all kinds of issues and made it clear that his standards were much higher than the Pharisees, than the most strict religious practice. He was much higher than all of that. He never lowered the bar. He always raised it. But he also, don't don't miss this, but he also empowers us by his grace to jump far higher than the law demanded. See, knowing Jesus and following Jesus, living with his Holy Spirit at work in us, empowers us to do far more than an Old Testament believer ever could imagine doing. You and I as Christians should be aiming higher than Old Testament believers were doing because you and I can clearly see Jesus as the primary example for how we are to live, for the primary example of defining what generosity looks like. Paul says plainly in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, listen to this, listen to this financial language. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He had everything and he generously gave it. Why? So you could have it. He was generous towards you. What's he saying here? What what is the greatest reason for generosity in the life of God's people? Why, do, why would I say, why would I stand by and defend and we can go sit down and we'll talk about this if you disagree with me, but why do I think that Christians who really grasp this should seek not to just give the 10% of the Old Testament tithe as the command required, but actually give more than that as generously, intentionally investing in eternity? Because if we are Christians, we must know it is the perfect, incomparable generosity of Jesus Christ that has saved us. And that should be our motivation. Paul writes it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Jesus is God himself who left all the riches of heaven behind, all the glory of eternal worship in heaven from all the created angels and angelic beings and stepped down into this broken world to live as a poor, weak human, even to go so far as to suffer and die physically upon a cross, all so that he could give to his people what they themselves do not deserve. He gave up everything so you and I could have the gift of salvation. So if you and I want to be like him, if he's the goal that we're aiming towards, he's the standard we're trying to be like, then we should live in gratitude, humility, and generosity in our lives today. So we're going to wrap up, and we're going to take a few minutes to just respond to God this morning. Worship team, if you'll come and prepare to lead us in our, in our final song. If you've never received the gift of God's salvation, if you've never experienced the riches of God's mercy that forgives all all of your sins, pays all of your debt, removes all of the weight of what you owe because of your wrongdoing, then this morning, it's the perfect time to receive that gift from God. Receive his salvation, his generosity, his kindness, his lavishness towards us. And like I say every week, I'd love to pray with you. I would love to answer questions if you have them. The altars are going to be always open to you for those things. And as we wrap up today, I want you to, I want you to know that, okay, we're not, we're not passing the plate again <laughs> this morning. It, it, 
And that could be manipulative to do, but it also could be a good opportunity because God is probably think, you know, working in your heart. And, and I've thought about it. You know, we could do this from a right position of worship to, to give you an opportunity to really respond to God. But, but here's, what I'm, here's what I'm praying. Here's what I'm trusting is that God is going to convict and change hearts far better than I ever could. So, so I'm not going to do anything in, in asking you to, to, to give in response to hearing about how you are to be giving to the Lord. I, I'm just going to trust and I'm going to pray that, that he's going to lead the hearts that need to be led to, to do that. Man, there's some of us that maybe we have been living in selfishness and sin, thinking all the resources that we have earned, well, hey, they're ours because we earned them, ignoring the fact that ultimately everything belongs to God. Ultimately, he's the one who even gave you the ability to earn whatever you have, thinking, I don't need to do that. Someone else needs to, to do that. Maybe today he's going to convict you, and if he does, that's between you and the Lord and how he leads you to respond. I'm just going to trust God will do work in a far greater way than I ever could. And I'm going to invite you today to respond to God by praying. I'm going to invite you today to, to respond to God by thinking about this and opening up your mind, your heart, to say, Lord, are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me about this matter? The altars are open. If you want to pray in the altars, you're welcome to do that. I'd love to pray with you. But we're going to take just a few moments to respond and then to ask God to make us ready for what lies ahead. It's the start of summer break. It's exciting for many people in this room. we got lots of big plans. But before we go there, let's ask God to make us ready to glorify Him in what lies ahead this week. We'll sing, we'll pray, and we'll dismiss in a few more moments.